This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. So it was all set to talk about uh, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Mike Turner's very ominous warning and request yesterday. Have you heard about this? Basically, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, now this role is no joke. This is the role Mike Rogers had. A lot of people, uh, when the Democrats controlled the House, Adam Schiff had. This is a role where you're privy to all sorts of really uh, sensitive intelligence matters. Mike Turner, Republican from Ohio, called on President Biden to declassify all information related to what Turner cryptically described as a, quote, serious national security threat. So my plan, and I'll tell you why I've deviated from that in a second, my plan was to spend some time asking you to speculate about what this serious national security threat was, because obviously you know where my head goes. My head goes directly to UAPs slash UFOs. That's, you know, and the fact that the government has been so secretive with so much of the information we know they have about this has led me to be pretty cynical about this. But I was a little, I said, Mike Turner's not the guy because Mike Turner is essentially a handmaiden of the military industrial complex. He does the bidding of what all the big military defense contractors want. And he wouldn't be the guy uh, to call for, you know, releasing all this UAP issues, uh, you know, information, because that's at odds with where the military defense contractors are. So it got me thinking. And then the more we learned about this, the more this story gyrated, it appears to be related to Russia. Two sources familiar with the matter confirmed to Axios that the threat is related to Russia, which has apparently ramped up its development of hypersonic missiles in recent years. Now, this statement that Turner made is still highly unusual for an Intelligence Committee chair of any party to publicly call for a declassification. What makes it even more odd is that I think today or tomorrow... He was slated, he himself, Turner himself, was slated to meet with the director of national intelligence, Jake Sullivan, and whoever else from the White House intelligence operation. So you would think before publicly calling, hey, President Biden, start declassifying stuff related to this very serious national security threat. You'd think when you have that opportunity for a private meeting with the DNI, you'd think you say, hey, Mr. Sullivan, Um, please declassify it. And then if he's not responsive, you would then go to the public and say, I have asked for this serious matter to be declassified, and they have been reluctant to do so. So the whole thing was odd. The way he handled it was odd. The fact that it happened was odd. The New York Times is reporting that the intelligence was related to Russia's attempts to develop a space-based anti-satellite nuclear weapon which could pose an international threat. Congressman Jim Himes, 
the top Democrat on the Intelligence Committee told reporters people should not panic and that the threat is something that needs to be addressed in the medium to long run. So this frenzy comes as the House continues to feud over two key national security priorities, military aid to Ukraine and the renewal of a controversial government surveillance program known as FISA. I'm going to bring this up with uh, Brian Kilmeade when he joins me in about uh, two hours as well. Speaker Mike Johnson, a Republican who serves in the leadership with Turner, he was also trying to calm people down when it comes to uh, Turner's comments. I want to assure the American people there is no need for public alarm. We are going to work together to address this matter as we do all sensitive matters that are classified. I was struck when I first heard this news, and then I'll take your calls, 800-848-9222, by two thoughts almost simultaneously. One, thank God we now have a Space Force. You know, when uh, President Trump, and it was an idea that preceded President Trump by several key leaders in the military and others, but he was the president that got it done. And I, I actually view this as one of his greatest accomplishments. When he launched the Space Force, this was precisely the rationale for the Space Force. Because in the future, everyone was saying wars are going to be fought in space. And this is an example of that. So if Russia is developing these hypersonic nuclear weapons that can be fired or partially um, guided from space, thank goodness we have a Space Force. The second thing that occurred to me almost immediately was this is why it is so foolish for us to be engaged in a proxy war with the country with the largest stockpile of nuclear weapons in the world. And to me, it's laughable that we're about to appropriate another $60 billion of money we don't have that we're going to borrow from China, essentially, to give to the Ukrainians. This is not cash that's going to help them win this war. It will only prolong the war, resulting in more dead Ukrainians, more dead Russians, a very angry nuclear Russia, and a, um incredibly enriched military-industrial complex. You know, that was one of the things that President Biden, his team, Senator Schumer, his team, and Senator McConnell actually used as a selling point for why the so-called border bill, which included a whole lot of money for um, foreign countries to fight their wars, should be passed. They said, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back to America. Oh, how is it going to come back to America? Well, it's going to go to uh, all these military defense contractors. Oh, oh, I, I mean, excuse me. But I don't view money that goes to Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin, etc. as being great for the average rank-and-file American. I view it being great for the average shareholder of those companies and the average CEO of those companies that's going to get a big bonus and the board members of those companies, people like Nikki Haley, Jack Keane, and others who go on television and bang the drums for more war, more war, more war, all the while getting paid by the very same entities that are going to make tons of money as long as these wars continue. So on a related, so I'm a big advocate of detente, of peace with Russia. And if I end up voting for Trump, it will be 
largely because of this. I believe he is much more likely to uh, pursue detente and peace with Russia than President Biden is, who's been incredibly antagonistic towards Russia. And when it comes to and when it comes to the history of detente with Russia, Trump made a lot of mistakes, don't get me wrong, including when it comes to Russia. Almost every president that pursued peace talks and nuclear arms reductions with Russia was a Republican. It was Ike, it was Nixon, it was Reagan, and it was uh, George H.W. Bush. And um, that's the history. You know, I guess the old saying, only Nixon could go to China, bears some truth. So anyway, with that in mind, I finally finished watching the rest of the uh, Tucker Carlson interview with Vladimir Putin, and I said that I would give you my review when I finished watching it. So I finally finished watching it yesterday. It was two hours. Trying to find the time in my day, and I'm not trying to sound like a big shot, it's just descriptive, trying to find the time in my day to watch two hours of anything, it's, it's a real struggle. So I finally finished it. As I mentioned, now if you're not up on this, Tucker Carlson, just like Bill O'Reilly was, was the most watched person in cable news. Now, he was fired by Fox News, and now he puts his show on Twitter. He released his interview with Vladimir Putin, and basically, I thought it was a great thing that he did this. And this was the first interview Putin did with an American journalist since before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And there was all sorts of people ready to criticize this even before they saw it. And um, basically, Putin, a lot of people in the media criticized Carlson for giving a softball interview that allowed Putin to spread propaganda to the West. Some people dismissing it before it was even released. And after it's released, a lot of historians criticized Putin's description of Russia's development and its relationship with Ukraine. And Tucker Carlson got a mix of both praise and criticism for the questions that he asked. So I I think I mentioned this when I started watching this. In a brief preamble to the video, Carlson warned viewers that Putin began the interview by giving a lengthy historical recounting of Russia and Ukraine's history. Putin gives essentially a 30-minute history lecture. You heard O'Reilly reference that. And it came after Carlson opened the interview by asking the obvious question, the same question I would ask, which is why Putin invaded Ukraine and if he felt an imminent threat from Ukraine. And he proceeds to launch into Russian history going back to the ninth century. And Tucker tried to interrupt him a couple times to bring it to the present day. And Putin just kept going on and on and lecturing. Um, so Putin also justified Russia's invasion by accusing Ukrainian nationalism as based on Nazism. You know, it's interesting, whether it's the United States or Russia, People love to live in the era of World War II. Everybody loves to throw these Chamberlain analogies, these Hitler analogies, these Nazi analogies. And what I always say whenever I hear people mention Chamberlain and Hitler, that that it must be the only historical analogy you even understand. In thousands of years of warfare, that's the only one that gets brought up. And yet, every bad guy is the new Hitler. You ever notice that? 
Every bad guy, everybody that we're supposed to dislike is the new Hitler. Remember when Slobodan Milosevic was the new Hitler? Remember when um, uh, Saddam Hussein was the new Hitler? Remember when uh, uh, Bashar al-Assad was the new Hitler? When, remember when Hafez al-Assad was the new Hitler? Remember when uh, Colonel Gaddafi was the new Hitler? Whoever the United States wants you to rub your hands together and, and foam at the mouth to invade, that's the person that they plant the talking point. That's the new Hitler. And now these days it's, it's Putin. So at Putin is just as capable of using these Nazi analogies as the United States is apparently. So throughout the interview, Putin gave answers that depicted Russia as a victim of Western aggression and of broken promises. Towards the end... Carlson asked if Evan Gershkovich, the jailed Wall Street Journal journalist, could be released as an act of goodwill, and Putin rebuffed him. Instead, Putin alleged that Gershkovich had uh, received classified documents which constituted espionage and suggested that talks were ongoing with the United States to reciprocate in some way to earn his release. Um, the left was very critical of the interview, arguing that Putin used Carlson's platform to basically spread misinformation. And some people say Carlson did a very poor job, but it, you know, but they don't think it would matter to Tucker's audience. Others say Putin struggled to get his message across despite somebody that was very favorable to him. The right has been a bit more mixed in their response to the interview, with many people questioning Putin's rationale for invading Ukraine. And really, I don't think he did a good job explaining it at all. I thought it was a very weak uh, rationale on the part of Putin. A lot of people say the interview contained a few surprises, and they think Tucker was a tougher interview than expected. Um, and look, in general, my view was this was a perfect model of free speech. I am glad that Tucker did this. And I actually thought he did a lot better than uh, critics suggested that he would. The way he introduced the interview and framed it was a little frustrating. And I think he realized a lot of things that have been obvious for a long time, which is that Putin's rationale for invading Ukraine makes no sense. Uh, there were a lot of questions that he could have spent time on that he did not ask. And look, I mean, I know there's only so much you could do with Putin, and he was already there for two hours. But he didn't ask him about anything that's going on with uh, domestic political oppression. He didn't ask him anything about Alexei Navalny. He didn't ask him anything about his former ally, the head of the Wagner group, uh, who mysteriously ended up dead. I would think, at the very least, that would merit a question. But um, I thought they covered a lot of ground. I thought the Gershkovic exchange was good. I thought the discussion of China was very interesting. But you've never explained why you think that happened, except to say that the West fears a strong Russia, but we have a strong China the West does not seem very afraid of. Uh, what about Russia do you think convinced policymakers they had to take it down? The West is afraid of a strong China more than it fears a strong Russia because it's uh, just 150 million people in Russia and it's 1.5 billion people in China. And also China's economy is growing at more than 5% a year. So the uh, potential is enormous. You know, Bismarck used to say the most important thing is the potential and China potentially is the biggest economy in the world in terms of purchasing parity. 
Uh, they also spent a good deal of time on the Nord Stream pipeline, which I thought both Tucker and Putin did a pretty good job explaining that that was either the United States or its allies, not the Russians, that blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. Who blew up Nord Stream? What? You did. I was busy that day. <laughs> Nate, it, it, do you have... Do you have I did not blow up Nord Stream. Thank you, though. Well, personally, you might have an alibi. But CIA doesn't have one. Do you have evidence that NATO or the CIA did it? Well, you know, I'm not going to go into detail, but as they say, you know, you've got to uh, search for someone who had interest in that. And in this particular case, you don't have, you have to search not just for someone who is interested in that, but also uh, someone who has the capabilities, because there are many people who are interested in that. But, you know, not everyone is capable of uh, scouring the uh, bottom of the Baltic Sea. But I'm confused. I mean, that's the biggest act of industrial terrorism ever, and it's the largest emission of CO2 in in history. Okay, so if you had evidence, and presumably given your security services, your intel services, you would, that NATO, the U.S., CIA, the West did this, why wouldn't you present it and win a propaganda victory? Well, it's very difficult, you know, to achieve a propaganda victory because the U.S. controls all the global media. And as far as many Europeans, uh, European media are concerned, the end beneficiary in many cases are American funds, foundations. So I thought it was an interesting interview. I'm glad that I watched it. Uh, But, you know, the war in Ukraine is a giant disaster. And I don't think anybody should be valorizing Putin for it. And I don't think Tucker did that. And aside from asking, uh, you know, not asking a few questions that uh, that I would have asked, I thought he did a good job. And, you know, everyone was condemning him for not asking about Evan Gershkovic when when before they even heard the interview. And it turns out he did. So I'm glad that he did. And he even gave the commentary at the end. He said, I hope you release him. So I thought that was uh, I thought that was good. Um, on the whole, I think it's it's worth watching. But you got to be prepared for that half hour lecture on Russian history, which is a bit dry. It is a bit dry uh, at times. All right, uh, that was my take. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. If you want to comment on anything we're talking about, let me say hello to Frank in California. Hi, Frank. Hi there. Hey, listen. Regarding the wars, you brought these up several times regarding America involved in several wars, but you never mentioned who started these wars. The Russians started the war in Ukraine. The Hamas started the war in the Middle East. And the Houthis have been bothering shipping lanes for years. They're finally getting down on them, which they deserve. Now, the money supplied to Ukraine is going to keep us from getting involved in the war. Well, so how, how, whoa, whoa, whoa. how does that happen? Tell me how the money supplied to Ukraine keeps us from getting involved in the war. Because Chuck <laughs> Schumer said keep, the same thing. It's, it's going to keep our generation from going to war with Russia. They're going to get wiped out now. Who's going to get wiped out? That's where the money comes in. Uh, I, and you know what? You're, you and your station are always promoting the Russian agenda. You should bring Liz Cheney 
onto your program. I'd love to have Liz Cheney on this program. Uh, it'd be great. Well, I'd like to see you. I, don't th- I think they'll take you off the payroll if you do bring her on. First of all, you know, I'm not sure which station you're listening to us on, Frank, but uh, depending on which station you're listening to us on, I am one of the few people on all of talk radio, really. Well, again, I don't know which station you're listening on, but I'm one of the few people on the Red Apple Audio Network that urges detente with Russia. If you listen up and down the dial, I mean, it is a... uh, Look, I'm going to talk with Brian Kilmeade, who's on a lot of our stations a little bit later. He's on WABC with us. He's on KDON with us. He's on WFDF with us. Brian Kilmeade is, if anything, even more of a neocon than Liz Cheney is. He is ready to... uh, it, It sounds like he's ready to enlist in both the Ukrainian military and the Israeli military himself. And I don't mean that as a criticism of him at all. That's his belief. And, you know, he he goes that route, you know, very, very gung-ho. But I think to, to act like we are all parroting Russian talking points, um, I, I don't think that's true at all. And for a lot of people that are too pro-Russia um, or very pro-Russia, they criticize me for saying that Putin shouldn't have invaded Ukraine. So, I mean, I give you my take, whether it's on domestic affairs, whether it's on intergalactic affairs, or whether it's on uh, international affairs, as independently as I can. Sometimes that's what the Russian side doesn't want to hear. Sometimes it's what the American side doesn't want to hear. But I can only give you my analysis as it is. 800-848-9222. William is in Manhattan. Hi, William. Uh, yes, Frank. I'm gladly to say that you had the baby over. I work at uh, St. John the Baptist Church, and I want to tell you this. The UFOs and the hieroglyphics and the reason why these pyramids and these uh, ancient Egyptian goddess are coming down because man is trying to blow this up. You can't get to heaven with earthly boundary affairs. Okay, no matter how much, we're like little ants compared to the big hand upstairs, <laughs> all right? <laughs> and that's the biggest gift I can ever give you. You know, political stuff is one thing, but when you deal with spiritual stuff, that's a whole nother galaxy, all right? <laughs> uh, what's your opinion on it? I agree with you. I completely agree with you, William. I mean, the only thing more, uh, the more impressive than the mysteries of the universe and the galaxy are the mysteries of uh, of faith itself and what lies beyond this plane. I, I can't disagree well, that, with you. That, that, that's belief within understanding. Whatever you believe in is what you attract. If you have an ugly face, somebody's going to say, why are you looking at me ugly? All right? So you have to have an understanding of how to channel the energy because we're only here for a certain amount of time. There's no way you could get to heaven by thinking that you can fly out of space and get there. Now, do you believe that... Um, when you seen William Shatner with Star Trek, was that actually a ship or was that a UFO? Can you answer that well, question? Well, I'm not sure. I'm not, well, first of all, I, I mean, it was a fictional television show. I'm not sure I right, follow. But, but, but what does that ship look like when you look at the uh, top of the rim of it? It right. looks like It is a, a saucer. UFO. That's true. That's true. That's exactly. absolutely right. So that's my mind to say to you. You have a wonderful one, all right? <laughs> Thank you, William. Appreciate that. 800-848-9222. I like William's voice. He sounds like a like a late-night DJ. Yeah, it sounds like a radio guy. I like that. All right. One open line if you want to jump on board. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 
With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYC. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide, no escape from reality. Open your eyes, look up to the skies and see. I'm just a boy, I need no sympathy. Because I'm easy come, easy go, little high. Queen singing Bohemian Rhapsody. Why are we playing this? Well, this is the only song that I'm aware of that mentions Galileo Galilei. Galileo, long before he was the name of the shuttlecraft on Star Trek, was an Italian philosopher, astronomer, and mathematician, and today was his birthday. On this day in 1564, he was born in Pisa, and certainly, uh, I think that was even pre-Leaning Tower, although don't quote me on that, and um, he certainly left an indelible mark on science, math, astronomy, and actually, no, uh, they had the Tower of Pisa back then. I'm not sure how it w- how much it was leaning, but uh, it opened in 1372, 200 years before Galileo. Wow, really impressive when you think about how old some of the great attractions in Italy are. You know, I don't like to get too political because, uh, you know, I view this as more of an entertainment show. But there are just two stories that I had to mention that are somewhat related to what we're talking about, and then we'll move on. I came much closer to voting for Donald Trump yesterday because there are so much of what I uh, disliked about the Trump administration is that he said a lot of the right things. But in, in a lot of ways, it was very much run like a typical neocon administration. He stacked this administration with with people that could have easily served in a Bush or a Clinton administration. And, you know, personnel is policy. And unfortunately, one of the worst offenders of this was Jared Kushner. I think Jared Kushner did a lot of good, namely on the First Step Act, the criminal justice reform put in place in the Trump administration, and on the Abraham Accords, which uh, at least made some progress towards peace in the Middle East, not on the Israeli-Palestinian side of things, but with respect to a lot of the Muslim countries and Israel. Both great accomplishments that Kushner should be lauded for. Other than that, I think Kushner is to blame for almost everything that went wrong 
with the Trump administration, including his fealty to Saudi Arabia. And the way that, I mean, the amount of money that he is making from Saudi Arabia now and the kind of people that he's dealing with that have had no problem being uh, allied with groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda over the years, I think tells you a lot about Jared Kushner and where his priorities are. Well, so what's the good news? The good news is Jared Kushner said, I mean, who knows if he's going to stick with us, but Jared Kushner says he would not join a second Trump administration. So is that a no? If he calls you on November whatever and says, I'd like you to come back to DC, you say, thanks, but I'm good? Yes. Uh, you know, from, from my perspective, uh, again, if you look at the way President Trump has been handling his campaign this time, uh, this is his third time doing it. And he's had time um, to uh, to really reflect on everything. I think that the team around him is, is maybe the best he's had. And I think that is good news. The farther that uh, that uh, Jared Kushner is from the White House, the better it is for everybody. Most of all, the American people. I want uh, Trump surrounding himself with people like Daniel Davis, Douglas McGregor, not folks like uh, H.R. McMaster and Jared Kushner. And that leads me to the other piece of good news um, that I saw yesterday. Trump has been talking with Tulsi Gabbard, uh, somebody that I think has a wonderful approach to defense and foreign policy. And apparently it's being reported widely that former President Trump and top advisors have spoken with former Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard about foreign policy and about how the Defense Department should be run in a second Trump term. These talks with Gabbard, who has staked out a role as an outspoken critic of aid to Ukraine and of military interventions overseas, interventions overseas which is why I love her, because that's my view, but she you know, is also a soldier and she speaks with a lot more authority than I do. They're part of a broader conversation about how Trump would manage the Pentagon differently if voters awarded him with a second term. He has repeatedly told advisors and donors in recent months that one of his biggest mistakes was his personnel choices at the Pentagon. And that's what I love hearing because he's right about that. He says he was stymied by officials with divergent you know, opinions from him. He sought to immediately pull out of many countries where the U.S. had troops, wanted to withdraw from NATO at times because he said other countries weren't paying enough. He questioned a lot of traditional alliances. He praised and negotiated with dictators that are considered foes of the United States. Obviously, Kim Jong-un is the best example. But And Tulsi Gabbard is right on the money with this. And if she can somehow shape a second Trump administration... That would be incredible. I mean, I, just to think of her as Secretary of Defense, I would give my left arm for that. Trump uh, met with Gabbard at least once in person last year, and she's often shared Trump's outward approach to the world in his post-presidency, uh, according to advisors who spoke to the Washington Post, of course, on the condition of anonymity. So... um I, th I view that as a, a big positive. I came much closer after those two pieces of news to voting for Donald Trump one more time. Uh, he still does a lot of things that tick me off, but I think in terms of policy, especially foreign policy, I took those as two very good signs. 800-848-9222. A lot of people have been holding a while. I'm going to try and get to everybody here. Steve on Staten Island. What's on your mind, Steve? 
Hey Frank, how are you? Hey, hey, two things. Uh, actually, four things. If you, if you, four if you things. Would. All right, lay it on me. Uh, let's 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 go with uh, Bill O'Reilly and, and Tucker Carlson. I, I wish they would. I, I, I just one opportunity to sit down with them and and explain to them as a police officer of thirty three years what actually goes on in these cities. I would love for them to take the opportunity to actually know what's going on before they speak in regards to all the crime that's going on around the cities and they don't know what actually happens in the inner, you know. So well, educate us. What are they missing out on? Educate us. Oh, if if, if I started, Frank, you'd you'd give me an hour. Okay, all right. Well, let's hear these other three things you wanted to comment on then. On on the other thing I'd like to comment on is uh, the Missouri shooting. Mm-hmm. If we if we allow and we we blame everybody else, all these politicians, Goldman, Jeffrey, oh oh, we're we're sticking up for Biden. We're doing this. We're doing that. Let's attack why these juvenile crimes have not been upgraded. In many, many years, these kids think they can do whatever they want. There is no, there's no crime stopping them. All right, so give me the solution, Steve. The solution is heavy heavy jail time. You get caught with a gun. You get caught with a gun. You should be mandatory five, seven years in prison. Caught with a gun and you commit a crime with that gun. Shoot somebody. It should be mandatory 15 years. Go to Russia with a gun. Yeah, Steve, I don't think you're going to get a lot of argument from folks on either side of the aisle on on that front. Uh, I certainly don't disagree with you. Give me the other two things you wanted to comment on. You you talk about the... these these politicians and they go back and forth with one another. Why why don't they just sit back and and, and do for the people? What, well, I, what, I think you know the reason. I, I, I think you know the the reason, Steve. It's because in order to go to Congress, you have to raise fifteen thousand dollars a week, and in order to raise fifteen thousand dollars a week, that means you're going to do the bidding of the people that give you that fifteen thousand dollars a week, not the bidding of the people that put you there. I mean, I mean, you think about it. The fact that Mitch McConnell, who ostensibly represents the people of Kentucky, was um, so gung-ho about this so-called border bill, which, again, is mostly just borrowing money to fund foreign wars, while the standard of living in Kentucky is abysmal. Education levels in Kentucky are abysmal. Healthcare in Kentucky is abysmal. The literacy rate among children is abysmal. The infant mortality rate is abysmal. The levels of diabetes uh, and uh, all sorts of other things. Levels of poverty are pretty alarming in Kentucky. Instead of actually doing something for the people that elected him, he's doing for the military-industrial complex that's funding his campaign. And, I mean, it's, to me, incredible. I mean, of course, they had to throw something in there that made it out like we were trying to do something for the American people as well. They threw a little border provisions, uh, which were fairly weak, I think. But, okay, I would have taken them happily. Uh, So they throw that in there, and they use that to justify sending tens of billions of dollars to Ukraine. I mean, 
if I were Mitch McConnell and I was in a position to be in the Senate leadership, either even I know he's in the minority, I would actually try to do something to help the people of my home state. And yet, he, like Mike Turner, is a total, every other word out of his mouth is give more money to Ukraine. I, I just don't understand it. 800-8489. Well, I do understand it. I say I don't understand it, but I do understand it because we know how much it takes to run for office. 800-848-9222. Uh, let me see who's been holding the next longest. Um, Bob is, oh, excuse me. Uh, Bob is in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Hey, Bob. Hey, buddy. Hi, Frank. Good job. You do every night. Thank uh, you. I listen to you so often. Uh, I, uh, I got the, the basis of the start of this whole thing, which people are missing. And you don't, you, I go back to the Charge of the Light Brigade with Errol Flynn, Olivia de Havilland, a movie made in 1936. And in the movie, it's with Genghis Khan, who was in charge of all of the Middle East Persia at the time, and the Russians, and the British. Now, the couple British officers break away from the party about a oh, quarter of the way in the movie, and they go down in an office and they're talking. And they say, what are they up to upstairs? What's Kong, Kong looking for? What are the Russians doing with them? She says, look here, this is the whole thing right here. Look on this map. Here's Russia. Here's the Middle East. Russia's starting trouble all over the Middle East looking for a water port. They're backed up against the Antarctic, 80 below zero. They got to get out. They've been trying to get out since back then. Now, to make things even worse for them, for us, they sold us Alaska. Holy mackerel, all their food went down the drain. Now they're having to keep up with us militarily with aircraft carriers, battleships, and everything else. They're starving their people. If a horse breaks his leg, they got to eat him in the tundra. So you got to understand a problem before you can fix a problem. And everybody killing everybody like they're doing, even Vietnam, 60 million gallons of Agent Orange on a country the size of Arizona. You ever see them bombers unleash their bombs, napalm and regular bombs? They're in the mud. They're doing a plow with the water buffalo, boom, the stakes in the air. The water buffalo blows to pieces. But who would ever eat anything from Vietnam today? Would you touch any right? If you did, see, they don't even talk about that. And all the animals that died in the jungles from the napalm and the people, that's all bacteria and disease. Well, first of all, sending people over. A couple over of things. Here. A couple of things. One, I actually think more of our shrimp comes from Vietnam that we're eating regularly than you may realize. Two, it's all interesting what you say, and I actually never saw that movie. I always wanted to. It's on my list. But w tell me exactly how this relates to anything we're talking about now. It's Russia cannot stop coming out. They have they have devastated everything, and 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 they they got nothing left. They got to keep coming. China has polluted all of their water with factories. All of it. They have ten percent farmable land in in China. They go all their factories and everything. All the pollution from their factories have gone into their water. They have to wearing masks around the streets for for years now, and. This is all coming from competition and having to keep gotcha. with everybody. Gotcha. With everybody. Bob, thank you. Hey, uh, by the way, I, I didn't see this earlier. Here is National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan reacting to Congressman Mike Turner's call for um, information to be declassified regarding this national security threat. Shortly before you came out, Congressman Mike Turner issued a statement saying that President Biden should declassify intelligence related to a, quote, serious national security threat. Um, what can you say about the threat and what the administration plans to do? 
So first, I reached out uh, earlier this week to the Gang of Eight uh, to offer myself for a, up for a personal briefing to the Gang of Eight. And in fact, we scheduled a briefing for the four House members of the Gang of Eight tomorrow. Uh, that's been on the books. So I am a bit surprised that Congressman Turner came out publicly today in advance of a meeting on the books for me to go sit with him alongside our intelligence and defense professionals tomorrow. That's his choice to do that. All I can tell you is that I'm focused on going to see him, sit with him, as well as the other House members of the Gang of Eight tomorrow. And I'm not in a position to say anything further from this podium at this time, other than to make the broad point that this administration has gone further uh, and in more creative, more strategic ways, dealt with the declass declassification of intelligence in the national interest of the United States than any administration in history. Uh, so you definitely are not going to find an unwillingness to do that when it's in our national security interest to do so. At the same time, we, of course, have to continue to prioritize and focus very much on the issue of sources and methods. We'll do that. Ultimately, these are decisions for the president to make. But in the meantime, the most important thing is we have the opportunity to sit in a classified setting and have the kind of conversation uh, with the House intelligence leadership that I, in fact, had scheduled before uh, Congressman Turner went out you today. You know, if what he's saying is true there, um, there's really, I think, no excuse for how Mike Turner handled this. It's very Bush League and very unprofessional. If, if what, then now maybe what he's saying is not true. If so, I'm sure Mike Turner will say so. But if what he says is true there, there's no reason Mike Turner should not have waited for this classified security briefing. I'll tell you what it looks like to me. It looks like a neocon Russia hawk wanting to get credit for sounding the alarm on the big bad wolf of Russia. And now, you know, when they do declassify information, Mike Turner is going to position himself uh, to donors and to the public and to media outlets as the guy who made this happen. And look, I mean, that's the problem. You know, you know, Dennis Hastert is not a guy that's routinely quoted these days because of, you know, what we learned about him. But he was on the radio with me um, many years ago, and I asked him. And I'll find the, the audio maybe maybe tomorrow we'll play it. But Denny Hastert says that's the problem with Congress now is there are way too many show horses and not enough workhorses. And I think that's what we're seeing with Mike Turner is he's being a show-off here. I think that's it's as simple as that. John is in New Jersey. Hey, John. Frank, thank you for taking my call. I love your show, Frank. Thank you. That's nice of you. I appreciate that. I uh, want to just mention, uh, we all know that, uh, you know, Russia put God back in its country and America kicked them out, you know, uh, with all the uh, with all our problems and all our accusations against the truth and, and just and just people. And uh, that's uh, Russia's strength is God. And we all know that God is strength and and we kicked them out. And that's going to make us weak. We need to put God back into our country and well truth and into our into our governors and, and law keeping. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I guess the one. One thing that you said that I would take issue with is your characterization of Russia putting God back into their country. I mean, and Tucker asked Putin about this, to his credit. You consider yourself leader of a Christian nation. You consider yourself orthodox. How do you carry, how do you invade another country which results in all sorts of people dying? I mean, how godlike is that to invade a neighboring country which results in, who knows, maybe hundreds of thousands of people dying? You know, Frank, we did that to, to our black brother Americans uh, with the uh, slavery issue, and um, and we know that um, 
uh, you know, um, uh, that that was wrong, and we're repenting of that. We, we're changing our ways. We're changing our ways from abortion, too. So God has taken that into consideration, too, in his mind, that uh, we are changing our evil ways. And um, you know what I mean. You know what yeah, I mean I, about I do. repentance. And John, John, thank you for the call. I, I guess the difference is you're going back to the 1860s, to bring up comparable conducts to what Putin's doing in the 2020s. By the way, Putin, for his part, uh, thought that uh, Tucker's questions were soft. And he said so in an interview that aired on Russian television. He said he was um, disappointed about the lack of piercing questions from Tucker Carlson. So uh, poor Tucker. Uh, he He can't catch a break. The people that hate Putin think he didn't do the right thing by interviewing him in the first place. And then, uh, of course, Putin himself can't even give him credit, says he didn't get, ask him any tough questions. All right. Hey, um, I'll continue with your calls in just a moment. 800-848-9222. And I will tell you the incredible true story of Carmine's first Valentine's Day at preschool. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Asked a girl what she wanted to be. She said, baby, can't you see? The Beatles singing about driving, very apropos, because it was on this day in 1965 that uh, John Lennon passed his driving test. And he was a notoriously bad driver and rarely drove himself. Even after passing this test, the other Beatles had learned to drive previously and were very good drivers, but Lennon's confidence was knocked after crashing his car shortly after this date. But today's the day. He passed his driver's test. All right. Hey, uh, 800-848-9222. I'm going to get to your calls in a moment. David, Neil, Robert, Joaquin, and uh, whoever else may happen to call in. Yesterday was obviously Valentine's Day. We spoke a lot about it on the program. But when you're in preschool, Valentine's Day takes on a whole new resonance. So... The preschool sends a note home with Carmine explaining what their plans were for Valentine's Day. They were getting pizza for lunch, which is great. And they were um, going to have all of the kids create a mailbox, which obviously as a two-year-old, you're not creating the mailbox. Your your parents are. I mean, in this case, it was just Rachel. She took a shoebox and turned it into a mailbox and wrote your name on it. You write your name on it. And what you have to do, what they tell you to do, is bring in a card for every kid in the class. Usually I don't like that kind of, oh, treat everybody the same, give something to everybody. But when you're two years old, why not? I mean, it would be a shame if uh, a two-year-old didn't get, you know, a card from somebody. 
So that's what we did. We sent in a card for every child in the class. We had the names of, I think there were 15 children in the class. We had the names of all the other children in the class. And we wrote out a card for them as directed, as directed. So we bring home Carmine's mailbox yesterday. And last night, we're going over it. Only two or three other children put cards in the mailbox. The rest of them all went all out. They put some they put either a toy in there or a treat or some candy, something really nice. Even though the instruction was just a card, we we Carmine made out like a bandit because all these kids put candy or something really nice in there. Only two other two or three other children just did a card. And so my wife said, you know, I I feel bad now that we didn't do something more elaborate. Get get throw some candy in there or something. But that's what the school told us. So I really, I felt bad. Um, I mean, Carmine doesn't care. He, he was happy to get all the candy that he got from his classmates. But I felt bad that we didn't get the, um, that nobody said to us, hey, you know, if you want, you have the option of doing something a little bit more elaborate, which we would have. We would have happily done that. So that's that. All right. 800-848-9222. Uh, David is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hey, David. Yeah, uh, good morning. morning. Okay, there's so much to get to here, and I know our time is very limited. All right, you, want, you, so want to, just, you, you, you got about a minute. Can you say in a minute, or you want to hold to the top of the hour? I'll hold to the top okay, of the right. hour, please. Um, uh, Joaquin in Pennsylvania, not oh, that you're known for Frank, being short. On, man, hold me to the top of the hour, because <laughs> I want to explain something to you about Nazi Germany. And why everyone refers to Hitler? Well, you know, I'm actually I'm not going to give you that option, uh, Joaquin, because You're David. Not. No, I'm not. All right, fine. We'll give you that option too. We're feeling generous. All right, well, hold everybody to the top of the hour. So be it. You don't get to request to be held to the top of the hour. I offered that to David because David is a smart guy. He's an intelligent guy. He uh, always argues his position well, even you know if it's at odds with what I'm saying. And uh, he's always on a good phone connection. You never have to worry about him dropping out. But, um, you know, Joaquin, it's, sometimes I need a decoder ring to figure out what he's trying to talk about in these calls. So we are going to hold you to the top of the hour, Joaquin, but use that time to think about what you want to say. And in a very succinct way, make sure it's relevant to what we've been talking about. All right. 800-848-9222 if you want to jump on board as well. Uh, in the meantime... In the words of the great Barry Farber, keep asking questions.